You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey folks, welcome to The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this special episode, I'm going to be talking to Michael Lucker, the author of Crash Boom Bang. That's three exclamation points in there, one after each one of those. How to Write Action Movies. Mr. Lucker has had quite the career. I'll be talking to him about that, as well as his new book, Right Now. I'm very curious how you got started in the entertainment business. From what I understand, you went to Boston College. Is that right? Boston University. Yeah, that's the thing about uh, Boston. You know, not a big college town. <laughs> yeah, it was a horrible place to go to school. Now I grew up. I grew up in Atlanta, and I was um, writing songs for girls I had crushes on who wouldn't give me the time of day when I was a, a, a wee tyke. And then I started writing plays in high school and um, people came and they laughed occasionally. And uh, I was writing articles for the school paper and, and uh, I was having some luck with that. So I decided to go off somewhere where they could train me to, um, to write intelligently and charm girls. And I was accepted to the College of Communication in Boston university and i went up there and froze my ass off for uh four years and they let me out and um i was tired of the snow and i wanted to write movies so i moved westward and uh landed broke and naive in los angeles and started sending out resumes and who bit when i first landed i was doing grunt work grunt jobs on um television specials pretty much anything i could get you know my hands on and uh, i was miserable I really wanted to work in um, in feature films, and so I I uh, found the Hollywood Creative Directory at the Samuel French Bookstore on Ventura Boulevard, and in it they had the addresses of everybody who uh, produced movies in town. And I sent a hundred resumes to all my favorites, from John Abelson to Robert Zemeckis, and I got one interview from those hundred resumes, and it was with uh, Amblin Entertainment, Steven Spielberg's company. I uh, went into the interview. I showered first. I shaved, and they hired me. And I got uh, uh, I got the job as uh, one of six production assistants in the company. And then after my being there two weeks, they said Stephen's personal production assistant was leaving. Would you like the job? And uh, I said yes. And I met Stephen on a Friday and started on a Monday. And I worked for him for a year and a half. When was this? What kind of projects were you working on with him? I was probably about 21, 20, yeah, 21, 22 at the time. And I came on um, in post-production on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So my first day on set with Steven, or not on set, but in post was um, doing um, ADR with Sean Connery in the scene where he and Harrison Ford are tied to the chairs in the um, room that's on fire. Then we went on and uh, did always. Steve was also producing Arachnophobia, Back to the Future 2 and 3, Dad, uh, Joe versus the Volcano, and prepping uh, Jurassic Park. So it was an exciting time to be there. And when did you finally get to apply your writing skills? Well, I was writing then. I knew I wanted to write. In fact, I didn't have much time to write because I was working 12-hour days for Steven. And I didn't have enough money for a computer. So I would write um, at Amblin at night after everybody was gone. And uh, I was just typing and typing and typing. And um, with every little, you know, uh, minute that I had, I was working late at night. And then finally I got one script uh, done that I was really proud of. 
called Insecurity. It's about uh, two guys getting out of college and getting drafted with the FBI, only to find out that there were pawns set up. And uh, I sent them out to a few folks, and um, nothing came of it. <laughs> but I got one opportunity to do a rewrite for somebody else on spec, and I did that. And I was confident enough in my writing abilities to leave my day job and go off and become a screenwriter. And I quickly went broke, realized I needed a day job while I continued to try and forge my screenwriting career. So then I got a, a job at uh, Disney working in creative affairs for Hollywood Pictures and um, was there for a year or so. And I, it allowed me to work with um, all the guys who were buying the scripts, which was cool. Uh, it gave me a chance to see the other side of the desk, really. And um, and then from there, I wrote another script or two, and I ended up partnering with a buddy of mine, and um, we uh, optioned a script to Paramount, got hired to write a script to Paramount, and then I quit my job again, and this time I had enough money to last me a little while longer. I know that being a screenwriter has to be one of the most thankless jobs that's out there, especially the whole idea of doing rewrites, uncredited rewrites, uh, having your scripts just molder out there, just all of those horrible things that happen. What are some of the things that you worked on that we might not know that you worked on in those early days? That's nice <laughs> of you to ask, and it's nice to have somebody understand the plight of the screenwriter. I think the rewards often really come in the actual writing and the typing itself. And if you're not enjoying that part, if you're not enjoying the ride, then yeah, it can be kind of a, a rocky road. Um, when you put them out there into um, you know the universe, yeah, some people like them, some people don't. Sometimes they buy them, sometimes they don't. There's a lot of ups and downs. Uh, if you're referring to the movies that that got made or the ones that didn't get made, the movies that got made, you know, um, there was a uh, Vampire in Brooklyn with Eddie Murphy. I was lucky enough to. Um, uh, there, there was a movie that didn't get made. It was a love story that we had Matthew McConaughey attached to star in um, at Lionsgate that fell through uh, called The Traitor. But from that, um, we got asked by uh, DreamWorks to write uh, an animated movie called Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron. And uh, that led to um, great success with that movie. And also it led to Disney pulling us back to work on five other animated uh, movies for them and uh, which all got made. So that was an, a nice little stretch of, of, of movies getting done. I think for every screenwriter uh, who gets a movie made, there's a stack of movies that don't get made. And that is one of the frustrating things is sometimes the ones that are on your desk collecting dust hold some of your favorite moments and your and your favorite lines. Tell me, how did you get involved with Vampire in Brooklyn? My writing partner at the time, uh, Chris Parker, had been working for Wes Craven uh, as sort of a production um, grunt. And um, he was kind enough to take a look at uh, another script of, of ours called Little Outlaws, a Western family fun adventure that we'd done. And he really liked it and liked our writing. Chris and I had gone off to write and become professional writers, quote unquote, without, you know, much experience and without much money in the bank. But we were out there kind of slugging it out. And Wes uh, was offered the opportunity to direct Eddie 
and uh, Vampire, and they were out to lots of big writers that lived in lots of big houses, and they couldn't find anybody that could crack the story. And they sent it to us to read. Actually, I'll never forget, we're sitting in my, my, my little house that I share with a couple of roommates down in Hermosa Beach, and the phone rang. And I looked at the phone in the, in the room, and I went, that's probably Wes Craven calling us to, to write the Eddie Murphy movie. And Chris answered it, and sure enough, it was uh, his producing partner, uh, Marianne Madalena, who had um, asked if we would be interested in looking at the draft that they had to see if we could fix it. And they sent it to us like on a Wednesday, and they asked us to meet with him on a Thursday. We read it overnight. We were up all night. We broke it down. We put it back together. We went in and met with him on Thursday. We pitched it, and they said, you guys are telling us stuff we hadn't heard before. And this sounds great. We'd like you to pitch it to Bob Jaffe at the time as the VP of production at Paramount. And we said, great. And they said, and we said, when? And they said, tomorrow. We're like, uh, what? Okay. So, but they had a bunch of suggestions. So we went back to the beach and we broke the script back down. We incorporated their suggestions. We went in and we pitched it to, uh, Bob Jaffe on Friday. And he said, this is great. You're telling us stuff we haven't heard before. And we're in a race against Universal to try and get Eddie in our movie. So we'd like you to pitch this to John uh, Goldwyn, president of Paramount at the time. We're like, great. He said, when? He said, Monday. But make these changes. So we went back over the weekend. We broke it down. We put it back together. We went in and pitched to John Goldwyn on Monday. He said, this is great. We want you to pitch it to Eddie Murphy. And we were like, what? <laughs> said, Yeah. Uh, we want you um, guys to get in the room with Eddie. And we're like, great. Is he, in, is he on the lot? Is he in Beverly Hills? You know, we're happy to go to his house. They go, no, he's in New York, which is where you're going tomorrow. <laughs> and so the next morning, like a limousine pulls up in front of, you know, my, you know, broken down house in Hermosa Beach, picks me up. We pick up Chris. We go to the airport. We get on the plane. And the next day we pitch the idea to Eddie and uh, he loved it. We got the gig. I'm so glad that you got the gig because it just feels like, even though I knew the end of the story, it feels like one of those things where it's like, we went through all these hoops and then eventually we failed. So I'm glad that that didn't happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, there's plenty of those stories. But fortunately, this one uh, turns out where we, we did get the, we, we did get the gig. And, you know, there's some things I'm really uh, proud of in the movie. There's a few things I wish could be better, but um, it, it, was, it was an exciting time for us to get a movie made. With, you know, Eddie Murphy was one of my idols. It's such an odd combination, though, uh, Wes Craven directing and Eddie Murphy starring. You're so right. And I, that was one of the challenges. And if anybody knows the story behind it, I, I'll, uh, well, if, if they don't yet, they're about to find out. <laughs> Wes Craven, um, as talented and brilliant and kind as he was, he basically wanted, you know, Freddy Krueger as a brother. You know, he wanted like the black Freddy Krueger. And uh, Paramount had tremendous success with Beverly Hills Cop, and they wanted to have, you know, Axel Foley basically as a vampire. Funny Eddie doing his shtick. And Eddie wanted this to be like his dramatic debut. And um, we were like, what? And so we were, you know, given the task of kind of combining Axel Foley and uh, Freddy Krueger and Hamlet and trying to pull it off. So. That's part of the reasons that the tone is not quite as even Stephen as it could be. 
how much did the film change from what you were pitching to what it ended up being when it came out? Great question. It changed quite a bit. We were really excited of about what we had pitched. And then by the time everybody had, you know, shared their thoughts, um, we had quite a mountain to climb. And we climbed it as uh, effectively and efficiently as we could to a point where Sherry Lansing greenlit the movie. And we were off to the races, but um, we, we were sitting in uh, dailies watching the footage come in. It was evident that the movie that was being shot was totally uh, a bit different from what we had put on the page. And ultimately, I think the studio made some choices budgetarily that affected the final outcome of the movie as well. You've written quite a few animated films. And I'm curious, how was that transition of writing for, quote unquote, real people or real situations to writing animated situations? It was easier than I expected it to be. Um, I grew up on action. I always wanted to write action, you know, make action movies. And I wasn't expecting the call at all to do uh, an animated movie. But then when we got the gig, I found tremendous creative license, not only to use my uh, action shops, if you will, but also to relay messages um, and themes that would be inspiring to children, families, maybe adults, you know, around the world, and also tell stories that had depth and had heart and allowed my imagination just to run wild. Because when you have crickets and dogs and dragons and butterflies all talking and living and, you know, coexisting in, in space, it gives you great latitude as a screenwriter. And I found that incredibly uh, liberating. I know that you've written sequels for Mulan and Lilo and Stitch and even Emperor's New Groove. When it comes to those, those are, I don't want to say relatively new, but within the scheme of things, those are relatively new properties compared to something like 101 Dalmatians. Did you have any trepidation going into 101 Dalmatians and writing a sequel to something that is beloved by so many people? I don't think there was any trepidation. I don't know if that was because we were naive or confident or cocky or just excited to be a part. But we looked at story and character based on the merits of what we were given and what had stood before us. And it didn't really matter to us if it came out the year before or it came out 60 years before, or if it made $1 million or it made $100 million. We're kind of carpenters, you know, craftsmen. And our job is to go in and work with the materials we were given. We were confident enough to do work that um, they were happy enough to put up on the screen. When, when I look at something like um, Home on the Range, where there's so many uncredited writers, what is that experience like for you coming in and working on something like that? Working in Hollywood uh, as a screenwriter is really interesting because there may only be two or three or four writers' names on the screen, but oftentimes there's many writers and certainly many creative voices that play a role in, you know, the final outcome. Uh, in animation, it's even more so. I think the studios uh, have so much at stake and it takes so long and it's 
a, a highly collaborative process in that you have so many artists working in one location for extended periods of time with the studio and with producers and directors and writers that they tend to funnel writers in and out. So on some of the animated movies that I've been fortunate to be a part of, we may have only been hired to come in and punch up the dialogue for four weeks or maybe fix a story over eight weeks or maybe just, you know, uh, elevate the action over three weeks. Home on the Range was unique in that I think we were on it for close to a year. And it was a big feature film coming out that the studio was really excited about. Um, the funny thing is, is the movie that we ended up writing was not the one we were hired to write. And I don't mean they changed the project. I mean, they changed the shape of the movie that we were on. We originally brought on to write a story about a little cool cow named Bullet. <laughs> And we got hired to do that, and they brought us into the room. And by the time I think we got there, they said, yeah, Bullet's gone, and we have three old women cows. <laughs> and now you're writing for them. We're like, okay. <laughs> and so we did our best, and they were happy, and so they kept us around. And we worked, you know, um, we had an office at Disney um, for a long time on that movie, and we worked, um, you know, uh, day and night with all those talented folks to try and make it the best movie we could. Tell me about your move back down to Atlanta. After the slings and arrows of Los Angeles and enjoying a little bit of success there, I got tired of uh, the traffic and the smog and slugging it out for project after project. Frankly, I missed the seasons and the trees and the friendly folks and Leonard Skinner on the radio um, that I grew up with down south in Atlanta. And I was a little burnt out, and I came back home um, and tried to work from here, going back and forth between Atlanta and Los Angeles. And so I kept an apartment in L.A. for a while, and, and I, I had a, a nice uh, place back home around, uh, you know, the sights and sounds and friends and family that I grew up with. And it was hard, frankly. It wasn't as easy for me to be removed from um, Los Angeles, but it was good for my soul. And um, so I tried to make it work. Ultimately, um, I drifted away a little bit from the from the day-to-day -day of screenwriting, but I also found there was opportunities here for me to direct and produce. Um, because um, I wasn't in the middle of nowhere, I was in Atlanta, the home of Ted Turner and CNN and TBS and TNT and the uh, film industry and entertainment industry, which is growing by leaps and bounds. So I've been fortunate to be a, a small part of it and get my um, uh, shot at directing a few things and producing a few things. And also, you know, in recent years, uh, teaching a few things to those that are aspiring to to uh, to get into the industry. Right. Yeah. You've been at uh, Emory University for a couple of years now. How long has that been? I've been at Emory for four years. What's your approach when you try to teach screenwriting to somebody? Teaching screenwriting was much more fun than I expected it to be. When I came back to Atlanta, people started asking me to 
share what I had learned. And they said, hey, can you come speak at this event? Or would you mind lecturing to our writers group? And I went and I spoke and uh, people laughed and clapped and came up to me afterward and said how helpful it was. And I really enjoyed being able to share what I had learned, you know, the hard way in Los Angeles and found it very rewarding to be able to pass it on. And then when I got the opportunity to start teaching uh, at the university level for um, Emory and others, then I found a bunch of bright, eager minds that were driven to succeed and had the wherewithal, the capability and drive to go to Los Angeles, go to New York, go to London, go to wherever they needed to go, or just go down the street in Atlanta to help get their uh, movies made or to help get their stories told. In addition to Emory, I've been invited to uh, be uh, uh, an instructor at uh, University of North Georgia, which is uh, a fantastic uh, film and media program that's growing by leaps and bounds also. And uh, also at Reinhardt University and their new MFA and creative writing program. And I've found that um, uh, my approach is largely the same for teaching people how to write movies. That is to start with start with a great idea, figure out who's going to go in it, map out that idea structurally, then kind of build in the scenes you know, one after another in a detailed outline, and then kind of start at the beginning and start working your way through it, start climbing the mountain. I've refined my approach over the last several years teaching beyond that lecturing, but I think a lot of the same uh, tenets still still apply. You were talking about when you were working on um, Interview with a Vampire, the whole idea of the breaking down and building it back up, putting it back together. Is that what you're talking about when it comes to the outlining and the breakdown of the scenes? Well, first, it wasn't Interview with a Vampire. I would have liked to have written that one, but instead, I wrote Vampire in Brooklyn. Um, and uh, Why did I yeah, screw that up? Jeez. That's all right. Uh, easy mistake to make. If you confuse it with, like, say, uh, Bambi. That would have been awkward, I think. But yeah, no. So I think the same principles still apply. You know, if you look at a story, I mean, we screenwriters are trained in what makes stories work. And when you read one and it doesn't work, if you've studied the craft and uh, done your work, you will recognize pretty readily that, uh, you know, the inciting incident comes too late, but the plot point. Um, doesn't twist the story in a way that the audience isn't expecting or that the scenes are not um, pushing the story forward or, you know, exposition is coming, you know, too obviously or that the ending is not as um, climactic as it should be or the theme is not resonant. You will recognize those things and you will be able to say, this isn't working. How do we fix it? And so that's kind of what I try to, to teach to my students um, is to understand what makes good stories work at the outset so that they can sell their stories and they'll be hired to rewrite others. And when did you decide to write a book about how to write screenplays? On slow. <laughs> People have been telling me I should write a book for a number of years. All of my students have been telling me I should write a book. My friends have been telling me to write a book. Family's been telling me to write a book. And like all, you know, 
good action heroes, I'm reluctant to change. So ultimately, um, I think I had a little bit of time and I said, you know what? Let me just write a chapter and see what it feels like. And uh, this was about a year and a half ago, I'd say. And I wrote a chapter and I shared it with a couple of my writing buddies um, who'd uh, written books or had, you know, some familiarity with the publishing world. And they said, this is great, Mike. You should share this with publishers. I was bewildered. I said, it's not done. It's just a chapter. And they wisely said, this is the time you share your writing with the publisher to involve them in the process, to solicit their feedback and incorporate their direction should they be interested. I was like, all right, well, who do I send it to? And my good friend, Jason James, sent me uh, the website of Michael Weesey Productions, who is the number one um, publisher of independent film and screenwriting books in the world. And he said, these guys. So I went to the website and I looked down and I found like the PDFs that you download if you're interested in submitting a book idea to them. And I went to like page 10 in the PDF and therein lies an email address to who you jot a note if you're interested. And I wrote a one paragraph email to them saying, hey, I'm Mike. I used to work for Steven Spielberg. I wrote a bunch of movies and now I'm teaching at Emory University and I'm about to write and I'm writing a book. Are you interested? And they uh, wrote me back within an hour and said, we are. And it began a fantastic journey into a whole new chapter of my own life. To take what you've learned over all these years and to try to encapsulate it into a couple hundred pages, that must have been pretty daunting. The writing about the craft was fun and easy. The writing about myself was awkward and uncomfortable because I tend to keep my personal life pretty personal. But I found in my classes and in my own workshops at Screenwriter School that um, when I give little anecdotes about the tough times that I faced or this embarrassing thing that happened in this meeting or this challenge that we had on set, those are the things that really bring the screenwriting craft to life for students. And also make it approachable. People feel like it's tangible. They feel like they can do it. And so I thought that it would be important for me to share embarrassing anecdotes about myself in the book as well. Each chapter, there's 12 chapters in the book, and I'll walk you through the entire process of writing the screenplay. And each chapter begins with a different little story from um, some moment in my screenwriting uh, career. Some were at the beginning and some were more recently. Um, but, uh, but hopefully they all uh, inspire um, those who read it to uh, take to the blank page to write their own stories and have the confidence to get it out there in the world. You not only have written this book, you're still teaching, but you're also still producing. Can you tell me a little bit about Lucky Dog Filmworks? When I came back to Atlanta and I started being uh, invited to uh, direct and produce for Turner and TBS and do commercial content, I needed a uh, a brick and mortar um, shop for that, and so I let it, I set up Lucky Dog, um, and Lucky Dog was my uh, 
nickname in college um, based on my last name, and I, uh, I just kind of slapped it on a sign out front of my loft studio. It became the home for whatever I was creating. I found um, that I had the opportunity to start uh, developing um, and producing um, original content in the unscripted space. The barriers of entry were less than the scripted side. I didn't necessarily have to be in Los Angeles, so I soon found myself developing shows for the likes of HGTV and A&E and OWN and MSNBC and Cartoon Network. A funny thing happened along the way in that I found that I didn't enjoy producing content as much as I did writing. I'd rather leave the logistics, the coordinating, the HR, the accounting, the managing to other really smart people. Focus on the storytelling because that's the part that really makes me feel alive and that I really have a, uh, more fun with. So consequently, I've done less producing with Lucky Dog and just use it as sort of the um, venue for uh, the projects that I'm continued to ask to write. Is the best place for people to pick up the book over at screenwriterschool.com? That is a place they can pick it up. They can pick it up at uh, Productions, uh, dot com. They can pick it up uh, at Amazon.com. Um, and uh, they can pick it up at Barnes & Noble's all over the country. Very cool. The name of the book is Crash, Boom, Bang, How to Write Action Movies. And I have one more question for you, Mr. Lucker. You were talking earlier about how you're writing plays, you're writing songs, you're doing all this stuff in order to woo a girl. Did you finally woo a girl with your writing? I did, actually. And you know what's uh, funny is uh, with my teaching as well. So they both have uh, led me to the promised land. That's your happy ending right there, I suppose. Right. <laughs> we suppose, right. Leave it at that. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been a real pleasure talking with you. And and uh, as well you. Thanks so much for having me. It's all so quiet. It's all so still. About a guy you wanna laugh, you wanna cry, you cross your heart and hope to die. Till it's over and then it's nice and quiet, but soon again starts another big riot. You blow off fuse, zing boom, the devil cuts loose, zing boom, so what's the use? What's them? falling in love. It's all so quiet. 
Starts another big riot. <laughs> <laughs> 